Hello, this is Penn Gillette. If I were to actually listen to the Liberal Cube podcast featuring host Jordan Maywood, I could potentially enjoy it. The Libra Cube. That is a podcast we haven't heard yet. Might be good, might be terrible. The Libro Cube Podcast with host Jordan Maywood. All right, here we go. This comes to us from our good friend Jordan Maywood. You call hamburger steamed ham. Yes. Hello, welcome to the Little Brew Cube. Uh, my name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Hockadaisical Little Brew list. Oh, that was like a professional-sounding opening, almost. Hmm. Well, maybe this will be a good episode for a change. Who can say? Not I. Surely. Not I. If your name is Shirley, that was directed at you. Folks, what is this podcast? It's one in which I throw out all the media I have consumed so it doesn't sit in the dusty attic of my mind and slowly drive me mad. And not angry mad, crazy mad. I can use the word crazy as I am. And I feel like this is more a post-episode 600 talk, uh, which I'm looking forward to. It's going to be a whole new podcast from episode 600 to episode 666 when I stop doing these, is the plan, the tentative, tentative game plan. Uh, what else should I set at the top of every show that sometimes I forget? Uh, spoilers, possibly. You know, you may not have consumed some of this media yourself, so, you know, I don't want to ruin it. I'm not here to ruin your fun. I'm not going to yuck your yum, as it were. Uh, And I think that's it. I got shit to do, so I'm going to try to do this with some alacrity, which is a fun word to say. Movie monologue. Today's movie monologue sponsor is Blockbuster Cologne. Thank you for that sponsorship. Just realized I forgot to open all the links to the various things that I'm going to talk about. Maybe if I do this in a sort of sing-song voice, it will go quicker than it would otherwise. Got a lot of links today. Jesus Christ. Uh, Just on the note of links... Basically, if it's a movie, I opened up the IMDb. If it's a book, the Goodreads, uh, Wikipedia for stuff. And that's pretty much the extent of my quote-unquote notes. I may not even look at it, to be Amish with you, to be 100% Amish with you. Although, for example, movie the first, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981 see if i didn't have that link open i wouldn't know this movie was from 1981 because i'm not good at remembering years or names and this this has two of them indiana jones is a name and 1981 is a year so i would have been fucked basically oh look at this uh, imda description further fuckage in 1936 archaeologist and adventure indiana jones that's a year and a name again is hired by the u.s government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf Hitler, name, Nazis can obtain its awesome powers. Hmm, yeah, that's awesome in the sort of older school sense. 
that has sort of faded a bit. Awesome now means something different than awesome back in the day, let's say. And that rhymes, and you know it rhymes. Um, yeah, so watch this with the misses. Uh, we watched, um, oh shit, what was the Sean Connery one? Not too long ago, and uh, with with the plan of watching all of them uh, eventually, it's funny because uh, it took a little convincing for her to watch uh, one because you know she, it's not that she, she fucking Jesus Christ she doesn't listen to this so I could swear about her. Uh, she does this thing where like have to fight to get her to watch some things, and yet while they are being watched and afterwards while they're being watched is enjoyment from her. And afterwards she always says she's glad we watched it, but getting her to that point, sometimes a little uh, difficult. This one was funny as well, because, um, I think I, and this is a little on me, of course, I think I inadvertently said, let's watch this one. And I showed her the cover Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then, uh, I realized, uh, I, I thought, about it more and thought, oh, I, I actually meant Temple of Doom. Let's watch that one. So then I tried to uh, sort of sneak it by her that that's the one I said, and she had none of it. She was having none of it, which was funny. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I didn't really care. We were going to watch both eventually. Um, so we watched this one and we got to the end and she's like, oh, shoot. You know what? I actually did want to watch Temple of Doom. So just as an example of what I am working with here. Uh, yeah, this one's good. Uh, it is the first and maybe compared to some of the other ones, they haven't sort of hit their stride. Is that possible? I don't know. It's not my favorite of the series. Uh, probably Temple of Doom or the one with Sean Connery, Last Crusade. Those ones I enjoy more than this one, but, uh, it's still a 4.5 over 5. 4 point over 5 and change. Convoluted rating. Completed. Uh, if you haven't seen... That's funny. I was talking to... Since I play uh, D&D, as will be uh, evidenced later on in this episode, actually. Uh, play with a lot of young people. So I just turned 40. Uh, most of the people I play with are in their 20s. Maybe some in their 30s. And maybe some even younger, actually. Uh, so uh, sometimes I worry that they haven't seen <laughs> movies like Indiana Jones. Uh, so I, I had to check in and make sure. And, uh, I think I got mostly verifications that they have seen just because, uh, the, the these definitely fall into the category of, and th- this comes up every now and then movies that everyone should see just a, a blanket sort of statement. This is a movie that exists. Everyone who watches movies should watch this movie to see what good movies can be. Yeah. Indiana Jones case in point. Now, you know what? Uh, um, uh, Star Trek two wrath of Khan probably one of my favorite movies but i don't know if that is a movie everyone should see just to sort of differentiate um because i don't know if uh, especially sci-fi that doesn't necessarily have a universal appeal so it's a very slim and specific category Mm mm-hmm Moving on to movie the second, the last blockbuster from 2020. Wait, that was last shitty year. Hmm. A documentary on the last remaining blockbuster video. Located in Bend, Oregon. B-E-N-D, Oregon. Uh, yeah, uh, for some reason this 
falls into, well, not for some reason, but this falls into another category that comes up quite often. Uh, uh, movies that I hear people on a bunch of the different podcasts that I listen to talk about. Which is not too surprising because, well, the narrator is Lauren Lapkus, just for example, and there's quite a few podcasty people in this for sure. You got your Paul Shear, Sam Levine, Ron Funches, uh, Lloyd Kaufman is not a podcasting person, but that was funny. Brian Posehn, Doug Benson, yeah, not a fan. Uh, he's a jerk, mm, just IRL a jerk. Uh, uh, Kevin Smith, uh, all sorts of good people, and. Doug Benson. <laughs> uh, Rating-wise, uh, it, it definitely set out what it intended to do, which is give us the full and interesting story of how there is only one blockbuster left. Uh, Rating-wise, I'd go like a solid four. Yeah, it's definitely uh, worth a watch, especially if you have nostalgia for the sort of thing, which I very much do. I worked for... I don't know if it was one week or two week or three weeks. It wasn't a month, I don't think. Uh, I worked at a Blockbuster <laughs> for not very long. It was not really a good job. Uh, basically, I just sort of walked around and uh, I think they wanted me to just sort of be the customer service walk around person, which is, you know, as a, a introverted extrovert, whatever that uh, sort of duality exists within some, uh, uh, it was both torturous and mostly torturous <laughs> having to just go up to strangers and like, I could fake it pretty good. And that's what I did. But, uh, the, the inner, the inner me screaming at having to do it. So, you know, there's that. And plus, uh, it sort of worked out for the best because if I had, a, you know, still been working there, probably wouldn't have been good in the long term, obviously. I don't think the one that I worked at uh, certainly was not... It, it was one of the first to go. Uh, the last Blockbuster. Yeah, uh, good times Blockbuster, though. Uh, and, and if you were of an age where you went to these, uh, you'll probably give it forget, 5 out of 5, just for the nostalgia factor alone. Really, really good. All right, uh, moving on to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> this is a title that has of the twice in it, which is, you know, uh, I'm giving it a point for that right, uh, right there, right alone. Of the... Uh, shitty Planet of the Apes movies, of which there's a few, and uh, which I've uh, uh, spoken of on this podcast. I'm sort of uh, somewhat slowly working my way through. This is maybe one of my favorite ones. <laughs> let me read the image. Uh, uh, it might be funny. In a futuristic... Oh, let me do a serious one, because it has the, the, the word world in it. In a futuristic world that has embraced ape slavery, Caesar... The son of the late Simeon's Cornelius and Zira surfaces after almost 20 years of hiding out from the authorities and prepares for a slave revolt against humanity. <laughs> uh, we got uh, uh, Roddy McDowell as Caesar. We got Ricardo Montibon. Pretty good. Uh, a couple of familiar faces uh, of the era, uh, which is 1972. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll tell you one of the things I like most about this movie is it explains, I believe in a somewhat logical manner, how, uh, uh the planet of the apes <laughs> came to exist. If you are unfamiliar with the planet of the apes, a big spoiler that I will leave a pause here that I'm going to say in a moment is the planet of the apes is, this is a movie from fucking like 60 something. So 
I don't feel too bad, is actually Earth. O M God. Uh, so uh, what what happens in this movie is they sort of explain the background of how that came to be, which uh, I, I do appreciate the logic, which is so like a disease killed all cats and dogs. It just sort of wiped them off the face of the earth. Uh, you know, was not a good time. Seemingly nothing could be done. Apparently. Uh, so, uh, humans turned to apes for pets and then sort of quickly learned that they could be trained, uh, much more so than obviously a dog and a cat could. Uh, and, and then over time, although the amount of time that it took for between that and the apes sort of developing a, a more slave-like than pet-like, uh, both in time and sort of their size kind of doesn't make sense. Okay. I, I will admit that unless there's some sort of genetic engineering going on, which, you know, let's not rule that out. This is the quote unquote future. Although I'm pretty sure I'd said at the beginning of the movie was 1993, which was pretty funny. Uh, because I was alive in 1993 and, uh, it's not very much like it is in this movie. Um, yeah, okay, so it was like a slow progression, uh, although I don't really think slow enough in terms of sort of evolution and things like that. Um, so, you know, that's cool. Just there. Rating-wise, uh, yeah, I think I go for uh, This is one of my favorite, as I say, of the bad. <laughs> Not the any of the planet uh, the apes are, you know, super, super good in terms of, you know, films. They are movies. I think it's safe to say, but, uh, that one I enjoy moving on to the lodge from, uh, 2019, assumed to be, <laughs> that's an interesting phrase. Assumed to be stepmom is snowed in with her fiance's two children at a remote holiday village. I don't think that is accurate. A remote cabin. Take out the word holiday village and put cabin. Uh, just as relations begin to thaw between the trio, so, do they? That's not really accurate either. They don't ever really begin to thaw. In fact, they <laughs> fucking the opposite of that. Uh, some strange and frightening of events take place. That is accurate. Uh, okay, so this falls into the category of movies of ones in which I guessed what was happening fairly earlier on. Uh, uh, was proved right and felt smart, but then also was disappointed because I kind of figured it out. Uh, this comes up again and again. The fact that, uh, if a movie goes places where I do not expect and surprises me, those movies tend to get the much higher marks. Uh, whereas this, uh, uh, I, I did kind of figure it out, uh, the twist, which, you know what, I'm not going to give it away on this one because, uh, it is, I, I will this, I, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give a rating of... Almost four, because I did enjoy it. Um, and I'm going to say, of the uh, plot twists that I have uh, guessed, and then those guesses have turned out to be correct, uh, this was the most surprising. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, because of the, although I guessed and was right, uh, I, I still kind of like, oh, that would be interesting if what I guessed... Uh, turns out to be correct so you know that, that's why it's getting a slightly higher score than probably traditionally these ones <laughs> that scenario would get now, moving on to from 1983 
got a bunch of old ones uh, apparently in this uh, particular episode. Uh, Cujo, yeah, from 1983. Cujo, a friendly St. Bernard, <laughs> contracts rabies and conducts a reign of terror on a small American town. Yeah, does it, though? I don't really know if it's a reign of terror on a whole town. It's certainly a reign of terror on a mother and a son trapped in a car um, by this thing in the hot summer sun. Mm. Was it? You know what I'm curious about? Was there? There must have been uh, scenes in which the dog was like an animatronic dog. Yeah, I think I'm seeing pictures of it now. Is this it here? Yeah, they've got some pictures from the uh, the film on IMDb. Oh man, a lot of a lot of alternate cases, um, which is uh, actually interesting because you because uh, I I couldn't tell like there were some scenes where it looks like maybe a dog wouldn't do what the dog was doing. Uh, however, uh, it, it was hard enough to tell. I, I think because it's a combination of just a life like looking dog and then i don't know if this happens with rabies do you get like 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 it was always dirty and sort of oozy and bloody does that happen with rabies i i don't know and frankly i don't want to know because it's fucking uh, horrifying uh yeah really uh kind of not much to say about the movie cujo um it's just about a killer dog so you know uh rating wise i'd go like four Maybe a little less on this uh, viewing. I've sort of come to realize that this movie doesn't really have a lot. It's just sort of a lot of build-up to the wife and son being uh, uh, trapped in this car. Uh, the the mother and son, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watched it with the missus. It was the first time she'd seen it, which is surprising because she loves the, this sort of uh, tense... A uh, thriller. Is this a thriller? Oh yeah, it's a horror thriller. Mm, is it horror? Yeah, it's kind of scary. Especially, you know what? If you watch this and were uh, scared of dogs, you know, not a good combo, I would say. Moving on. Television talk. Today's Television Talk sponsor is Single Biome Video Game Planets. Thank you for that sponsorship. All right, uh, I have two television programs to talk about. Firstly, one that I uh, actually finished uh, quite a bit ago, like maybe a month ago, and I just forgot to uh, bring back to the podcast for some reason. It's called Alien Worlds. It is a British sci-fi docu-fiction narrated by Sophie Hokananda. According to the Wikipedia, it is available for your viewing pleasure on Netflix. Uh, and it, it's an interesting idea. There was, uh, I wish I could remember what it was called. There was a show similar to this uh, in the early aughts, I think it was. Basically what they do is they sort of take data uh, from Earth and then uh, sort of extrapolate what would happen if things were subtly different on the planet. So, for example, what if the planet uh, didn't rotate? How would that affect the ecology of the Earth? What if the uh, uh, atmosphere was much thinner and the planet was bigger? Uh, things of that nature. Things uh, just almost, I think in every case, actually, sort of subtle twists to uh, Earth-like planets and solar systems. Uh, 
um, and how they would affect the uh, ecology of those planets. And then they do all sorts of a, 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 a 3D animated uh, a sort of what it would look like, and they go through the explanations of uh, their sort of reasoning, all sort of very, mm, I would say scientific. Like, uh, they seem to back up their... Uh, maybe even predictions is too, is uh, too strong a word, but um, you know you, you know what I'm getting at. And uh, uh, b- cool to look at, beautiful in in most cases actually. Uh, the last one was uh, uh, oh, Terra. Yeah, it was uh, colonizing, and then they sort of uh, uh, examine things on planet Earth as well. And there's always a bit of a back and forth. Uh, it's only four episodes, so it's more of a, a miniseries, I suppose. I wish I remembered what the one was back in the day. I think it was more based on not planets, but just the uh, individual uh, uh, creatures themselves. Mm, I wish it were. Yeah, no idea. Uh, Rating-wise, I'd go a solid four. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I will say... Uh, the misses we started out together and she kind of didn't like it as much, uh, which leads me to believe it probably falls more into the category of, uh, if this is something you have an interest in, you will like it more than you would otherwise, which, you know, is, mm, I often have said of documentaries, uh, it doesn't matter what the subject is. If it's a good documentary, you'll like it. So, you know, maybe take that with a grain of salt. Moving on to WandaVision. Oh, from 2020, I suppose. 2021, actually. Interesting. Television program. Uh, yeah, I went into it with really no expectations. Um, Wanda and Vision are not necessarily characters I have put too much thought into. <laughs> uh, uh, sort of, you know, seeing them in the, the various MCU uh, incarnations. Yeah, they're, they're, they're super... I suppose, but, but, but really never considered backstories or, or anything like that. So, uh, I think that helped actually, like I I sort of went into this with no expectations, which, uh, is often a a good thing to do and ended up really enjoying it. Um, did interesting things. There's no denying that. Uh, I don't, my sort of main question after these nine episodes is, is there going to be more of these? It, It almost feels like there can't be, or, if there is, it's going to be vastly different than what uh, this was. Um, similar to, well, okay, similar to The Lodge, I had a guess earlier on that uh, turned out to be true. With this one, because it's so new, I'm not going to spoil it if I can, other than just saying you'll watch the first, you know, two, three episodes and be like, what the fuck is going on here? And uh, I had guesses then that uh, uh, ended up being uh, uh, mostly accurate. So, you know, take a mark out for that. That being said, still going to go... Yeah, I think I go like a solid four and change. Uh, I, I did like it. A lot of production values, uh, certainly. Uh, uh, a lot of lore sort of explored uh, um, that uh, I feel like has cool stuff. Anytime superhero stuff and magic gets involved, you know, that's up my alley as someone who's, you know, D&D-ing a lot. Uh, obviously that's going to appeal and, uh, this definitely does. So, uh, definitely recommend WandaVision. Just watch the first couple even, and just try to be like, what? uh, just, just exist in that space of what the fuck for a little while. And, uh, you may find you like it. Conan, the librarian. Don't you? 
Today's book banter sponsor is Mayrin's Tribble Exterminators. Thank you for that sponsorship. Okay, uh, have, I feel like I haven't had one for a little bit. A Sliders Session Recap. Uh, this is Recap 6-ish and 7. Uh, so if you are following along, I've been running a campaign, a D&D campaign in which the players, uh, the, the PCs, are traveling from one plane to another. Uh, sliding from one to each, a la the television. So sliders, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. Um, you can listen back and listen for the reasoning, um, but uh, uh, here I'm just sort of uh, running down some of the uh, session uh, recaps. Uh, so, you know, if you want, feel free to go back and uh, have a listen. Um, you could search sliders in this podcast name and I think find them. Anyways... Uh, okay, so session six, I say six-ish, because I did a sort of a different thing. Uh, it, it was the Plain of Elysium, oh, which is, you know, akin to heaven, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of. Uh, in fact, I, do, I seem to recall there was maybe at least one, maybe more, uh, episode of Hercules, Hercules, the legendary journals, or maybe it was Xena, who knows, they were very much intertwined, uh, uh, where they went uh, and visited Elysium, and it just just very uh, heaven-like, although the, uh, 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 the former Greek, Greek, Greek interpretation, interpretation of that. So what I did, rather than have a session there, uh, I wanted to sort of generate uh, uh, RP roleplay and uh, said that uh, while there, uh, normally uh, as soon as the players pop into a plane, their uh, armbands will tell them uh, two main things, uh, how long they will be on the plane and where the opening home will be, similar to the television show Sliders. That's exactly what happened on that show. Uh, here, they found uh, the opening was going to be, you know, right where they are, so that's handy, but also uh, that they were going to be there for 100 years, <laughs> which is uh, potentially less than ideal. However, um, they don't age, Elysium, um, so because some of them would have died if, uh, you know, those 100 years have actually passed, uh, I, I, I sort of gave them a almost a Cosmo magazine style questionnaire. Uh, and then based on that combined with, you know, just like a little story blurb of what they got up to over the course of the hundred years, I, uh, had some cool stuff for them, uh, when their, uh, quote unquote hundred years was up and we uh, move into session seven. Uh, I, I suppose I could have done a, a Elysium full session, but I just thought, uh, you know, in heaven, your D&D session, you know, the potential for not really much happening. It, it, it's like the reason why uh, quite often uh, uh, Superman is perceived as being boring to write for. Because, you know, he can do anything. In in Elysium, uh, everything is good at all times, uh, making, you know, tension difficult. And plus, I thought this would be sort of a cool thing that probably, I would assume, uh, DMs don't do very often. So, you know, those two things combined. However, when they returned, <laughs> I did something fun. Um, I told them the next plane was going to be, oh, shit, what is it? Uh, Easgard. Is it Easgard? Y-S-G. 
G-A-R-D. Isengard. I don't know how to say that word. Anyways, I told them that's what it was going to be. Um, however, I did a little sneak. <laughs> Instead of uh, uh, the session being in Isgard, uh, I, 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 well, I'll just read uh, the uh, my, uh, my thingamabobber, and you'll see what I actually did. 100 years in Elysium has meant that it took our adventurers a moment to determine that something was amiss when compared to their other returns from the various planes they had visited so far. Firstly, it was much darker than normal, as if there was an issue with the power or the lighting. It was also very cold, as if whatever normally keeps a pleasant environment has been shut down, and the cold of space has started to seep in. Lastly, and most worrisome of all, is that Nadraj was not there to greet everyone, as he had always been so far. Venturing from the planar gate into the base proper, a hollow message is triggered by the presence of their armbands. Uh, a somewhat frantic Nadraj relays that about 50 years after they left, there was a ever-increasing attempts to penetrate the base's defenses and stop their vital work they had been doing to find the randomness leak that would eventually destroy all of existence. Oh, there you go. Well, backstory. Uh, worrisome in itself, it eventually became apparent to Nadraj could not hold off these forces forever, so he slowly pulled back and was forced to give up areas of his ship to invaders. He set up this message and also sent a distress call to any who might help, but in the end he was forced to retreat back to the warp core uh, as if... as if that fell to invaders, the whole base would fall. Um, he has tasked Sakino, Merle, Mayrin, and Balaman. What's the four players, uh, with making their way to the center of the base by whatever means possible. Knowing it would not be a walk in the O2 generating park, he used the Nadraj personality contraption, NPC, to print off a being that has helped him in the past uh, that has lied dormant awaiting the slider's return. What the T-800 lacks in personality, it makes up for having in a massive Gatling laser. His robotic voice and taking of things very literally balance his helpfulness a bit, but his ability to print off the details of advanced tech that both Sakino and Mei Rin find is where he really shines. A Gauss rifle and a microwave emitter are both very powerful and take some getting used to, but it is traditional... But it is traditional weapons that are used against the first foes they encounter. Small, fast, and quiet, these white, slimy, crab-like beings, uh, jumping attacks appear to be directed specifically at the faces of any living creature that come into their range. There is a particularly tense moment when Merle is supposed to use what little strength he has to pull a, quote-unquote, face hugger off of Balaban. Uh, the brief tussle is also enough to learn that when these things are killed, their acidic blood is something to watch out for. Uh, okay. So let me explain a few things there. Um, 
normally matter from Nadraj's uh, dimension can't travel to these planes, so they're not able to, you know, take a phaser from there to uh, Elysium. Oh, phaser and Elysium. That's a good band name. Um, however, they're here, so they can use stuff. Now, they're not proficient in it, of course, but uh, it sort of makes up for it a little bit, and the shit that they find is very powerful. Uh, Gauss rifle and microwave emitter, both uh, weapons from Fallout, specifically to get that in there t-800 obviously terminator face hugger obviously face huggers uh, i had a cool mechanic that uh if they killed or hit uh, uh these creatures in melee range they had to do deck saves for the splash of the acid that would sort of uh, pop off uh and if you crit and the 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 face hugger or whatever just exploded from the death because they had they basically had one hit point basically um and if you crit, they just sort of exploded everywhere, and then the radius got bigger of uh, who had to watch out for the acid damage. Anyways, uh, okay, moving on. Blood is something to watch out for. Watching out is made difficult in the oxygen generation portion of Nadraj's base, as whatever hunts them there appears to be virtually invisible, except while in motion. The lush, the lush forest... The lush forest, ooh, that's hard to say, of this area is perfect camouflage for this uber predator. As it stalks and mimics the speech of the party, almost able to give orders to the T-800 were it not for the rest of the team screaming no repeatedly. Uh, eventually, once some lucky hits had landed and the growing glean glowing green blood of the creature turned the tables on the fight and the hunted became the hunter the the hunter became the hunted rather <laughs> uh and merle got uh, his mask which was fun um yeah obviously that was a predator we're, we're just hitting all the sort of sci-fi bases here uh, moving from forest to forge the extreme heat of this area was seemingly an ideal location for the aliens to have boarded and spawned a sizable nest a near endless supply of the face hugging crab-like creatures made fighting their adult versions and the alien queen that much more difficult the t-800 takes out two of the larger alien creatures but not without having a having to sacrifice himself with a plummet to the molten steel below of course did he make a thumbs up as he fell in yes yes well the rest of the team deals massive damage after massive hit to the queen until eventually merle entices it with arrows and his delicious squirrel meat, oh yeah, he's a squirrel folk, to the rear of the docked space vessel. A space vessel that contains a decidedly elvish-looking individual with a goatee. I uh, should underline that. I'm going to. That's a hint for things. Who said uh, that if they could move, maneuver the creature behind the ship, he would fire up the engines, as he thought this was the best way to wipe out the thing from existence. Uh, a nearly singed Merle escapes up a magic rope just in time for the alien queen, along with other evidence of this infestation to be destroyed in a fiery blast from behind the ship. With a moment to catch their breath, the team learns that the elf is named Spock and that he has uh, responded to a distress call from Nadraj and found the place overrun and he himself became trapped in the ship and like 
Loki would still be if they had not come along. As thanks, he agrees to teach, oh yeah, one of them something called a Vulcan neck pinch, but only if they read this recap. <laughs> which, uh, you know, I don't think my players read my way too long recaps, which is fine. However, if they do read them, uh, one of them can have this uh, ability that I worked out. So we'll see. Uh, Spock also says there is some sort of force field preventing further entrance to the facility. And after some testing, a few failed attempts to breach it, Mayrin realize that it is simply key to the party members to grant them access. So all they had to do was touch it. Yeah. Sometimes I like doing things like that. Like, um, Things that look complicated, but are really, you know, just push a button and it does what you want to do. Uh, here, all, literally all they had to do was touch the force field um, and it would have, uh, and, and it went down. So fun stuff. Perhaps it was the frustration of the field or maybe some deep uh, racial memory, but the soft and gentle cooing of a tiny spherical ball of cute and cuddly fur is not enough to dissuade May Wren from brutally and efficiently burling, burning alive a massive pile of tribbles to the great surprise and disgust of the rest of the party. Oh my. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was a, a surprise to me. It was a surprise to the rest of the party and was, without the player knowing it, very, very fitting. If you are unfamiliar with Tribbles from the Star Trek universe, they do not like uh, Klingons and vice versa. Um, in this universe I have created, um, in my homebrew, uh, uh, dwarfs are descendant of Klingons, elves, Descendant of uh, Vulcans, etc., etc. I have a giant list of the conversions. Um, this player who burnt these fucking triple pile alive uh, is a dwarf. <laughs> so without him, that was my favorite part of the session. <laughs> like that, uh, just lining up just by sheer coincidence, him not knowing that, him doing something sort of a little out of character, uh, uh, strangely, <laughs> uh, just working so well uh, with the lore. Uh, uh, it's just things like that that I love D&D. So, you know, yay. Moving on. Uh, fortunately, question mark, uh, this was the last hurdle of gaining entrance to the inner base and Nadraj greeted them all most warmly and explained uh, all that had happened since they had gone and that seemingly someone in this universe had become aware of their mission and was trying to thwart it. Thwart is a fun word. He thinks beating them back as they had done at the very least gives them pause, but also this was not something they should forget about. He then commences a fixing and cleaning montage to get things back to quote-unquote normal. Uh, and each of the party members uh, helps in their own new unique way, meaning that once more the mission can commence. To Ysgard, so Nadraj lets them know. For real this time. That's where we're going to go. If... Uh, which I have some uh, fun stuff planned for that. Uh, folks, one more button push... Today's Internet Intercourse sponsor is the Genesis device. Thank you for that sponsorship. Uh, item the first, Star Trek The Pod Directive is back. Yes, I like that. 
Um, they are back with guest Paul Shear. Oh yeah, hosts uh, uh, Tony Newsom and Paul F. Tompkins, podcasting royalty, both of them. Uh, and this is the official uh, uh, from I guess CBS, maybe. Yes, CBS uh, Star Trek podcast. So you know all those things combined to mean that obviously I'm going to watch, uh, listen to this, watch, listen, I watch, you know, you don't really watch a podcast unless of course your eyes are open while you're listening and you're watching, but you're not really watching the podcast, I suppose, unless you glance down at the app that's running it. <sighs> Guest Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson. Uh, uh, Paul Shear, uh, I think he already came up on this podcast, didn't he? What did he come up? Where were we talking about? Yeah, he was in the uh, Blockbuster doc. <laughs> Double Paul Shear Day. Ooh, maybe we should uh, call this episode Double Paul Shear Day. I'll, 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 possible. Double Paul Shear Day. Why not? I'm a fan. May as well. In uh, this first episode back of, uh, I guess, their season two, I'm not really sure. With podcasts, you know, sometimes they break them into seasons. There's no rhyme or reason, uh, uh, seemingly. Uh, yeah, whatever. Like, am I in seasons? This is episode 569. I, I've never done a season. It doesn't make sense. Or have I done a bunch of seasons? Because every 10 episodes, I take uh, two weeks off. And is each 10 episode its own season? I have no idea, and it doesn't matter. Why am I dwelling on it? I don't know. The first episode back of this, though, uh, they spoke of the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, and uh, their love of that. Uh, they actually, just sort of uh, going back to something I said previously, they sort of phrased uh, or spoke of this movie with an eye for one that you can enjoy even if you don't know Star Trek, which I think is true for the most part. Like, you're probably going to miss out on some things. Um, whereas I said earlier that uh, I wouldn't put this necessarily in my uh, movies everyone has to see uh, for the reason that, you know, if you don't like sci-fi, if you don't like Star Trek, you probably won't like this. Um, whereas they sort of, uh, maybe poo pooed that idea a little bit in the sense that, uh, Amy Nicholson, I don't think had ever seen it or was Tony knew something. One of them, uh, hadn't really seen it or hadn't seen it often or something to that effect and ended up liking it. So, but these are all uh, Star Trek fans, although Amy seemed to have the least, uh, she co-hosts a podcast with Paul Shear, uh, Unspooled. So uh, I guess she was there for that reason. But it was, it was nice to hear her opinion. And uh, uh, she uh, seemingly liked stuff, which I like, which makes me like her. Huh? Uh, moving on to item the second, Hanging with Dr. Z. Things are going to get hairy. Oh, shit. I didn't... Uh, it's Dana Gould, right? Uh, rat pack. I didn't write it down. Well, anyways, hanging Dr. Z. Oh, you know what? This is another weird connection that I didn't mean to do after having watched the Planet of the Apes. Dr. Z is Dr. Zaius from the original uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, and it is, it's, is it Dana Gould's? Hang on, it's just, uh, comedy didn't know. Created by Dana Gould. Okay, yeah, it is him. 
Uh, okay, so Dana Gould dresses up with a sort of very professionally done uh, that looks very much like it did in the original Planet of the Apes movie, uh, dresses as the uh, orangutan, quote-unquote, uh, uh, Dr. Zayas, and hosts a uh, fictitious, uh, spoofy uh, late-night talk show where uh, comedians come on. It sort of has a... 70s maybe 80s vibe uh uh it's insane and i love it and i hope they make more uh they did uh episode one steven weber we've got tim meadows bobcat goldthwaite awesome paget brucer Patton oswald Jan- little janet varney will forte uh and it's just you know uh, 10-ish minutes and under uh of these little chats these uh ridiculous little <gasps> Uh, uh, segments uh, as if this is a real thing that is happening and they are a goddamn internet-y delight and I I love them yeah instant love Uh, this is the sort of thing that I think and I'm you know I'm not gonna pussyfoot around here which is a gross word um this is the sort of reason that the internet exists for things like this dr zayas from planet of the apes doing a late night talk show ah <sighs> so very good uh moving on to last but not least uh you made it weird with guest martin star yeah uh so you made it weird you know it's uh it is what it is uh, uh it's sort of to me a little bit like uh, people make fun of uh, Pete Holmes a little bit, I, w- I will say, in his sort of uh, various philosophies and philosophizing and such, which uh, you know I I think he's just a dude uh, doing his thing and uh, um, living living his life as he sees fit. Sure, I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyways, uh, Martin Starr, uh, formerly of Silicon Valley, freaks and geeks, uh, seen him in a million things, I'm sure. Uh, he is a Buddhist, uh, somewhat practicing from the sounds of it. Uh, and Pete has an interest in all re- things, religion, uh, Buddhism included. Uh, uh, and this sort of delve fairly deep into that. Uh, there was talk of, uh, uh, uh Martin has had, uh, two near death experiences. So they got into those. That was fascinating. Uh, uh, he's had a UFO sighting, which is uh, interesting. Also co-siding, you know what? I bet you when this episode drops, well, we'll definitely be pretty close to the uh, the CIA or the Pentagon. Anyways, uh, all those UFO documents about to be released that sort of was on a COVID relief bill for some reason. <laughs> it was like 120 days. I think, yeah, we're, we're getting close to that. Um, so, you know, there's that, I suppose, folks. This is a fucking shit ton longer episode than I thought it was going to be. And that's my fault my fault and i apologize half-heartedly half-heartedly yeah you know gotta save some i guess uh we did it sure yeah it's nice to be nice to the nice this is the end of the show a sincere thank you for listening time to plug some things and i do not mean but you can like us on facebook you can follow jordan underscore maywood on twitter You can subscribe and comment on iTunes. Lastly, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can email jordan.maywood at gmail.com. I would like to conclude that I am not a robot and that I have a theory.
I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. No, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway. Wait till our lips have met. Wait till you see that sunshine day. You ain't seen nothing yet. The best is yet to come and be. Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come. Live long and prosper.